Coming live from East London, Hoxton Radio. Hoxton Movies with Nikki, Matt, Morton, and Rowena in association with the Genesis Cinema only on Hoxton Radio. Good evening and welcome to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Uh, Morton is away this week because he's hosting a Q&A this evening uh, for the it's a Blue, Blue Velvet Revisited documentary. Yeah. So um, if you have time, you can probably rush down there now and catch him. God, all our presenters are hosting Q&As left, right and centre at the moment. Yes, Nikki. Yes, because our Nikki is going to be hosting a Q&A with writer-director Alice Lowe and a screening of Prevenge tonight at the Hackney Picture House. Which is exciting. We'll be there being cheerleaders as well. Absolutely, we will. Don't embarrass me, guys. Don't embarrass me. I'll be like, Nikki, <laughs> me, pick me. When there's a question, I'll be like, me, me. <laughs> me, me, me. <laughs> I have a question, Miss Lowe, Miss Lowe. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's going to be happening a little bit later on. It's exciting. And it's sold out. Yes. Which is very scary. Anyway, uh, we've got loads coming up on the show. We're going to have a slightly shorter show because we are popping off to the Prevenge Q&A a little bit later on. So it'll be a slightly shorter, uh, but still loads of stuff to come. We're going to be reviewing Prevenge. We're going to be talking about the Lego Batman movie. Uh, if we have time, we're going to be talking about Santa Clarita Diet, as well as a new documentary called Love True. And I was very lucky to chat to the director, Alma Harrell, Yesterday, so we'll be playing my interview with her a little bit later on as well. She was absolutely fabulous as well. She was amazing. Despite being a little bit under the weather, she was awesome. And I, I really liked her. So we'll be playing the interview with that as well. And we'll be talking movie news. Uh, a couple of um, trailers that have come out recently. Beguiled and the Lego Ninjago movie trailer. Was oh, that you saying Ninjago? Ninjago. Oh, and did you hear the news as well yesterday? Go on. That Fleabag's Phoebe yes, Waller-Bridge has, is going to be in the standalone uh, Star Wars movie, the Han Solo movie. <gasps> Wow, yeah. that is an inspiring, a, like, a big jump. casting. But yeah. then you know, Amazon bought Fleabag and they were streaming mm. it in America, and she was on all of the talk shows. Like it went down really well there critically. Um, but yeah, inspired bit of casting. I mm. love that. I think it's really thinking outside the box. Which, in fairness, you know, uh, Kathleen Kennedy, who is you know spearheading all of the Star Wars reboots, is really creative in terms of who she mm. casts, like Riz mm. Ahmed and. Alan you know, Tudyk. Diego Luna. Is Alan Tudyk? Yeah, who did uh, the robot in, yeah, in Rogue him. One. But also, like, Diego Luna mm. was, was a bit of a left-of-the-middle choice. But, yeah, great. Um, and we'll also be talking all the stuff that's happening at our partnership cinema, Genesis Cinema. Remember, you can follow them at Genesis Cinema on Twitter or go to their website, genesiscinema.co.uk. You can also follow us on Twitter at Hoxton Movies. And... Our soundtrack of the week this week is from Hidden Figures, which is super exciting. Uh, Matt and I caught previews of it this week. And, and I did. Oh, and, and Weena, sorry. Oh, we've as all well. seen it. We've all we... seen it. We've all seen it. And all loved it, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's out next week, so we'll be reviewing it properly next week. But I thought it'd be really nice to play the soundtrack, because I had to, have to say, the soundtrack was one of the things that like really like kept me mm. involved with it. I really liked it. And also Pharrell produced the film yeah. as well as did the soundtrack. And I think he's done such a bang-up job, because yeah. every song really serves the story and the narrative, I think. Exactly. And they're all, yeah, all new songs written for the film. So enjoy a lot of Pharrell Williams on the show. Uh, the first one is called Crave. Hey. 
Genesis Cinema on Hoxton Radio. Welcome back to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Loads coming up on the show. We're going to be playing the interview that I did with uh, Alma Harrell about her new film Love True a little bit later on. But before that, it's our lovely Genesis slot. Um, Morton's not here to to do it, so we're going to do our best at covering for him. Um, there's loads of ha- stuff happening at the Genesis. Firstly, I think we should probably point out Sunday is a big day. Uh, not only do they have their directed by women. Uh, thing happening which is called Turn Me On Damn It um, so this year they're screening 52 films directed by women one, one a week um, which is an amazing feat and they're doing really well so far and there's one on Sunday uh, which is called Turn Me On Damn It at one o'clock so if you went to see that then you could stick around and come to the second Hoxton Movies Genesis Film Quiz which Whee! is also happening on Sunday uh, we're starting off at 6.30 and this week we, uh, we are doing an awards theme so we're talking BAFTAs, Oscars, SAGs, Golden Globes. Matt specialism. Matt, yeah, literally Matt specialism. I know, I am a bit of an awards nerd. You to are be a fair. little bit of an awards nerd. But I haven't actually looked at my questions yet. I know it's only two days to go, but I'm going to get on it. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and not make it too difficult for yeah, people. Yeah, I think la- we had a few people that said Some it was... Some feedback. There was feedback <laughs> that was a little bit hard last time. So we're going we're gonna to try and make it a little bit more general. I've done, a, I think, quite a good guessy intro round for award-winning songs what's Oscar award winning songs which I think is quite fun uh, and we also have a round on Nora Ephron as well because we are doing something where the losing team will pick a director that they want us to feature in the next quiz so the losing team last time picked Nora Ephron so we've got a round on Nora Ephron as well so that's at 6.30 on Sunday come along and then if you stick around in the bar we'll be screening the BAFTAs as well afterwards live which will be awesome 
Um, so Valentine's is coming up. I don't know if anyone knows. Mm. I've never been a fan of Valentine's. It's kind of rubbish. Um, so they've got some live music uh, in the Genesis bar. It's free and it's jazz with Luca Somigli, which should be really fun. I think that's kind of to tie in with La La Land still being out, still doing really well. So they've got a jazz night that starts at nine o'clock. At uh, nine o'clock, sorry, at seven o'clock. Um, if you're not into jazz, then you can go see Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is a French musical which uh, inspired La La Land a lot. Um, that's playing at 7.15, uh, also on Valentine's Day night. Uh, on next Thursday at half seven, there's a cult classic called Necromantic, which is about a street sweeper who cleans up after grisly accidents and brings home a full corpse for him and his wife to enjoy sexually. Oh, my. Hmm, interesting. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> this is two days after, so that's all good. Also, I'm just checking the listings, but it seems that Moonlight is opening this Friday at the Genesis. Yeah, it's, I think But it's nationwide at the end of the month. It's nationwide next week, I believe, but I think they've they've got one screening a day starting from tomorrow. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely worth going to see. We, we've all, Oh, yeah, it's we, 9 o'clock every day. You yeah. Go and see this movie. Go um, and see Moonlight. We'll be talking about it in full next week, doing yeah, a full review. Beautiful film. Um, but definitely talk about that. And one other thing I just want to plug real quick. Um, so as part of the WI, we're partnering up with the Genesis to do another Directed by Women 2017 film. And we're going to be screening Gas Food Lodging, directed by Alison Anders. Anders. And we should be joined by Ioni Sky for a Q&A oh, as well. Oh, I'm so excited. Afterwards. So that will be really exciting. That's happening on the 23rd of Feb, but you can get tickets now. And for those who don't remember... I only sky played Diane in Cameron Crowe's amazing mm. Say Anything film. She's brilliant. She's Rachel in the Rachel Papers. Um, you know, Gas Food Lodging as well is a great movie. Uh, Alison Anders, who directed that, also directed a movie called Grace of My Heart. Which yeah, I which is like, amazing. I love that movie. It's such a great film. It's kind of loosely based on the life of Carol King. Yeah, Eliana Douglas plays the lead role. Mm. Um, Patsy Kensett's in it, weirdly enough. Yeah. <laughs> Bridget Fonda. But it's actually one it's of the brilliant. most underrated films. It was produced by Martin Scorsese. Mm. And I saw it at the London Film Festival about a million years ago <laughs> and I remember thinking God this film is incredible and it just disappeared under the radar mm. so Alison Anders is a really really great female director mm. always really strong female driven f films and Gas Food Lodging is no exception it's great awesome so that's some of the stuff that's happening at Genesis this week you can check them out at Genesis Cinema on Twitter or genesiscinema.co.uk for their website you can buy all the tickets there just sort of look around for events films and they've got loads of stuff happening it always it's always nice to just hang out in the Genesis, you know. It's a nice place to just go. It's lovely. Bar Paragon's great. Bring your laptop, get a, get a coffee, get a cocktail. Very chilled out vibe. Yeah, do love it. Um, so we'll be playing um, the interview a little bit later on with Alma Harrell, talking about Love True. We're also going to be reviewing um, Lego Batman movie and Prevenge, as well as Loving a little bit later on. And we'll be talking a little bit about Fifty Shades Darker, which is out tomorrow. Uh, before that, movie news. But before that, we'll be playing another song from our soundtrack of the week, which is Hidden Figures. This one is by Mary J. Blige, and it's called Mirage. Trying to understand the way I've been behaving. It's a funny thing you really got to see. Is it just your love that's got me going crazy? All my eyes playing with me. Mm -hmm. All day your love just comes shining. Y'all know me very well. 
Welcome back to Hoxton Movies. That's right, it's movie news time. And first up, it's BAFTA nominations. So the BAFTAs are happening on Sunday. Uh, we, I think we've been through the nominations before, so we we're just going to do our predictions for this year's nominees. Does anyone want to go first? Should we start with? Should we start with director? Let's start with director. Yeah. So director, the nominees we've got: uh, Denis Villeneuve for uh, Arrival, Ken Loach for I Daniel Blake, Dan, uh, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea and Tom Ford for Nocturnal Animals. I would like to see Ken Loach get this. I don't think he will. But I don't think he will. No, I think Damien Chazelle will get it. I agree. I'm still, I'm going to stick to my guns and say Ken Loach. I think they might just give it to him because he's British and mm. he won't get, he's obviously hasn't been nominated for an Oscar, so. Well, I don't think they will because BAFTA used to be notorious for always rewarding the British director or artist or, or actor that was nominated and I think they want to be seen as an international mm. film award show now and they're going to reward the film that's kind of been celebrated the most yeah. as, as being kind of there and then you know that opening sequence of La La Land which I know has divided people yeah mm. Morton wasn't keen was he he wasn't keen I think he wasn't keen because it was it was more just the fact that it seemed quite light and fluffy yeah. as opposed to the technical aspects of it but then I suppose as well you could argue that we've already seen it you know mm. we've already seen that kind of shot in Birdman and there was a tracking shot in the first sort of 10 minutes of that mm. by Emmanuel Lubezki which was actually slightly more effective maybe than through the corridors and everything yeah yeah. yeah. 
So supporting actress, Matt, who have we got? So for supporting actress, we have... Sorry, I'm just going to pull up the list. Bear with me. <coughs> we have Hayley Squires for I, Daniel Blake, Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion, and Viola Davis for Fences. I think if they're going to reward I, Daniel Blake anywhere, it'll be in this category, and Hayley think? Squires okay. could win it. But Viola Davis has won every other major award mm. for her work in Fences. So I think... Viola Davis could pip her to the post. Either her or Naomi Harris, I think. I don't think Naomi Harris is going to get it. You don't think she'll get it? I think the sm- the, p- the part is too small. Fair I enough. Think I think yeah, I think Williams might get it. No, no. I think I Viola so. Davis will probably get it. I would like to see Naomi Harris get it. I think, to be honest, and I've said this before on the show, I would like to see it go to Hayley Squires because mm. I think it's a nice way to acknowledge I Daniel Blake. And I still have yet to see, and I won't actually because I saw it last year, and there was no more heartbreaking a scene in any movie of last year than the food bank scene mm. with Hayley Squires. And I think that alone, um, not to mention all of the activism that her and um, Daniel Johns and Ken Loach have undertaken as part of the campaign for mm. our Daniel Blake, it's felt very, mm. very authentic. And you know, with everything going on in the world, I think it's really commendable that they put so much effort into that. So let's hope the BAFTA... Yeah. Uh, committee reward her for it. So for supporting actor, there's Aaron Taylor-Johnson for Nocturnal Animals, Dev Patel for Lion, Hugh Grant for Florence Foster Jenkins, Jeff Bridges for Hello High Water, and Mashala Ali for Moonlight. Again, do you think they'll go for a Brit in this, in which case they might go for Aaron Taylor-Johnson or Dev Patel? Yeah, I was thinking Dev Patel. Um, but he hasn't really won anything else, so I kind of think Mashala Ali might get it. I'm pretty sure he's going to get the Oscar. I think Mahershala Ali has got a really good, strong chance, but I think you're right. I think he's far more likely to win the Academy Award. I think this could go to Aaron Taylor-Johnson for mm. Nocturnal Animals, actually, as a kind of compensation for not winning the Oscar. I still find it quite bizarre that he won the Golden Globe, was nominated for um, this, mm. but no Oscar nomination, but mm. Michael Shannon picked up the, the yeah. nod. It's strange. I mean, I do think they were both equally as good in Nocturnal Animals, but yeah, <clears throat> yeah if I'm going to go out on a limb, I'm going to say Aaron Taylor-Johnson for Nocturnal Animals. Yeah, I think I, I'm with you. Oh, I'm still going for Dev Patel. All right. So, do you want to do leading actress? Yeah, Rowena, do you want to do that? Um, I haven't got the list in front of me, so <laughs> let's have a look. So, best leading actress, we have Amy Adams for Arrival, Emily Blunt for The Girl on the Train, <laughs> Emma Stone for La La Land, Meryl Streep Flo- uh, for Florence Floster Jenkins, and Natalie Portman for Jackie. Mm, well, I don't think Emily Blunt's going to get it, so that's good. I'm guessing probably Emma Stone because she's sweeping up at all the awards. I yeah, I would have said Emma Stone, but because Amy Adams didn't get the Oscar I'm nomination, I kind of would hope that BAFTA might give it to her. Just no, as, you know. I think this is going to go to Natalie Portman. I hope really? it goes. I think Natalie Portman deserves it the most, but La La Land, although La La Land has loads of backlash in the last sort of. That's few what I'm weeks. thinking. I think the British Academy like to reward you know kind of alternative mm. films films that are a little bit um, unusual for example it always sticks into my head the year that Scarlett Johansson got two nominations for Lost in Translation and The Girl with the Pearl Earring and one for Lost in Translation over Judy Dench mm. and people like that so I think I, go I think it's going to go with Natalie Portman yeah I do I don't think Emma Stone's performance is going to be gritty enough for the BAFTA mm. members yeah I'm. I, yeah I kind of I'm hoping it'll either be Natalie Portman I think or maybe Amy Adams just as a kind of if they throw a curveball because she didn't get the Oscar nomination. Maybe. I don't think so, though. I don't think people are that sentimental. No. Mm, fair enough. Uh, leading actor, we've got Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Jake Gyllenhaal for Nocturnal Animals, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, and Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. I'm pretty sure this is Casey Affleck's Without to lose. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, Casey Affleck's will be He's this. been, like, 
picking this up all over the place. And then we'll just do uh, best film as well predictions. So we've got Arrival, I, Daniel Blake, La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight all up for best film. Moonlight is my yeah, choice. Yeah, I was going to say Moonlight. I want Moonlight to win. Mm. I really want Moonlight to win. Hopefully we can channel it then. Mm. I think Moonlight will win. I think they'll reward La La Land with director. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be a really mixed bag, actually. I don't think one film's going to sweep it. Mm. Uh, it might be a different story at the Oscars, but it'll be a really good indication as to how the Oscars are going to go based on whether La La Land does pick up. If La La Land wins Best Director, Picture and Actress, it's probably going to have a bit of a fair sweep at the mm. uh, at the Oscars but I hope it doesn't because then it makes that race more interesting yeah for sure cool so that's the BAFTAs it's on on Sunday I think red carpet stuff starts from sort of 4.30 I think but I it's saw. pre-recorded anyway so it's a, yeah. Yeah, behind but. Um, and then the actual not, uh, the actual awards start about 9 o'clock on the BBC so easy to watch easy to find not like the uh, American awards that we have to kind of look look for alternative routes scrabble around uh, what other news have we got Matt so, <clears throat> some news this week that, weirdly, very, very quickly, even though it's only been released in 2016, anyway, is the Hollywood remake of Tony Erdman, the German um, Oscar-nominated uh, comedy that Nikki saw actually reviewed it's on amazing. last week's show. Yeah, Three so hours long, and it's about a father and a daughter relationship, and it's quite a sort of black comedy and quite twisted. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> yeah, Jack Nicholson hasn't been in a film since, <clears throat> I think it was the movie he did with Reese Witherspoon and Paul Rudd and Owen Wilson a couple of years ago. James L. Brooks directed it. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, How Do You Know? Yeah, it didn't do very well. So that was his last film. So this is his first leading role in, in a very long time. And he's been paired with Kristen Wiig as his daughter. And I have to say, even though I've not seen Tony Erdman yet, and I do think it's a bit soon to remake mm. it, the idea of pairing these two together really mm. excites me because I love Jack Nicholson. He's one of my all-time favourites. And I think Kristen Wiig is one of the most underrated mm. comedic actresses. She's great. Like, Welcome to Me. I don't know if you saw that yeah, movie. I, I quite liked it. It was very odd, but the movie, she was the amazing. Mo- yeah, the movie doesn't quite like mm. succeed, but her f- performance is amazing. The Skeleton Twins as well, mm. she was remarkable in that. So I, I think I'm excited about their dynamic, but... I think it's a bit soon to yeah me too I think I'm excited by the casting I agree with you I'm totally excited by the casting and I think it kind of works um, but I I'm not I'm never really excited by remakes yeah see I hate this and I just feel it's dumbing down movies for audiences when actually I think we're more than willing to go Mm. out and watch the originals and I think it's the same with the girl with the dragon tattoo Mm. I think with one of my favourite films Let the Right One In when they made it Let Me In it's like you don't need to do that but they did do quite a good job with that I did think yeah. I thought the Hollywood remake was pretty impressive I wasn't that keen but I love the original so. I, I love, love the original too I saw the original first and with Girl with a Dragon Tattoo I actually preferred the Hollywood version than the no. Swedish I did actually I preferred Rooney Mara to Numi Rapace I thought Rooney Mara was incredible in it um, I, di- I, th- I actually didn't have a pro- I thought that remake was very well done I still think the original was better I think I think I said it on the show last week when I was doing the review. I mean, with this, with the comedy, it, it mm. seemed so tied in with the language of the film. It, it, I don't know if they can translate it. I don't know if the comedy will translate. Like, and they'll, if they, if they do it well, I actually, I don't even know if they can do it well. If they hollow, Hollywoodize it, they'll completely lose the point of the film. That's exactly what I thought of when um, I read they were doing this. I remembered you saying about how you think it was the fact that it's in its original language mm. that you actually found it funnier. Mm. And I'm a bit worried about how they're going to manage this. But, you know, I think 
again stellar cast that they're looking to get in so but no director or writer has been attached to it yet and uh, I mean apparently it's Paramount that are remaking it which is yeah. worries me as well if it was like Fox Searchlight or, an, mm. or one of the indie um, you know offsets of the major studios then I would be a little bit more increased or say for example someone like Alexander Payne was mm. attached to it he did about Schmidt mm. I would say okay maybe they'll get this right but there's no director or writer attached yet so they've, you just have to wait and see yeah they've got big short director Adam McKay attached as the producer right uh, and, and Marin Addy who directed the original is going to be coming on as an executive producer for this one. I just I worry that they Hollywood uh, don't do very good well, very do very well treading the line of kind of not going over schmaltzy, and mm. that's the point of this. Is is it? There is touching moments in it, mm. but you kind of have to earn them. Like they don't just come. And I was reading um, a, the, um, a writer in the Guardian wrote a kind of predictions of what they might do. And a lot of it was basically over schmaltzifying it, over dramatizing like the big moments and making them bigger. So there's there's a couple of moments in the film that are, are downplayed for their sort of over emotion. Like there isn't it is emotional, but it's not overdone. Like you haven't got like tears streaming down someone's face. It's just and, touching. Yeah, it's just touching over the top. And they, their prediction is that they'll have kind of um they'll go a little bit they'll go that one step further to kind of make it more try and make it more tear jerking and it's funny though isn't it because Hidden Figures I don't know we're reviewing it next week but it's the perfect example of how you can do a big Hollywood mm. blockbuster and almost kind of uh, eradicate the uh, the sentimentality it, it doesn't feel very sentimental mm -hmm. there was no big there was a few showy moments but there wasn't any of the melodrama that you normally have associated it wasn't like say The Help mm. <clears throat> where it was too sentimental mm. so I think you know maybe they're learning a few lessons, but I, I don't think remaking it so soon is a great idea. And as you say, <clears throat> it just is kind of right. American audiences won't go and see a foreign language mm. film, so we'll put some big stars in it and and cut it in half because there's no way a comedy is going to be three hours long. No, no. Oh yeah, they won't. I'm hoping. It's it's funny though because I'm always like, oh, comedies can't be over an hour and a half. In fact, movies that are over two hours usually tell I'm, that to Judd Apatow. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> movies that are over two hours, I'm usually a little bit wary of, depending on what they are. Obviously, like Godfather bucks that trend, and this does as well. I was surprised at how quick the running time went. And Titanic. Oh God. <sighs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> I like Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. I I have to give up a whole Sunday sometimes just to watch the extended oh, editions gosh. back to back. Twelve you, hours. Oh, it's so worth it. You can I'm watch like, it with Ant next time. I will. He's always trying to get me to watch them all like in a row back to back. Imagine me and Ant in a Hobbit elf one piece <laughs> watching Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. <laughs> okay, more trailer news. Um, so Sofia Coppola is returning to cinemas this year with a remake of the 1971 thriller The Beguiled uh, so she won an, the Oscar for Lost in Translation and um, she also directed Virgin Suicides and Marie Antoinette and Somewhere she's actually a director that I really like I watched Marie Antoinette for the first time over Christmas and really oh, really? really enjoyed it, cause it I really like it because yeah. it got kind of sort of critically like mixed reviews well because she she opted to go for like a modern soundtrack which really threw people like using modern pop songs and stuff um, really, I really liked that I really liked it and the cast is amazing mm. Kirsten Dunst is fantastic I was just saying like what I'm really excited about The Beguiling um the Beguiling. The, the beguiled, beguiled. Sorry. The Beguiling. <laughs> the beguiling. It's Beguiling. Um, no, it's actually the actresses that she's cast in this. So you've got three, Nicole Kidman, Elle Fanning, and Kirsten Dunst, who all three of them make really interesting choices. Mm. Um, and all, They both look like... They all, all of look them the look same. quite interesting. They've got that slightly look? attractive but unusual look about Yeah, yeah. Them. They've all got that kind of unusual, attractive... They're not all the sort of stereotypical, but I did, know, I did think they're all white. They're all blonde. Yeah. No, but that's the, but that's where it's set. I know that's where yeah, it's set. Because I've actually I saw the original when I was 
14 years old. Wow. And I remember the when I saw it, I was in hospital. I'd had my appendix out, and I remember not being able to sleep and in a lot of pain. And I was just watching BBC Two or something, and the beguiled the beguiled game on, and it's Clint Eastwood, and uh, directed by Don Siegel, who directed Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I just mm. remember thinking, it was so. It, obviously I was 14 so it was very dark but it's very sexually charged the film it's not explicit it's quite gory in places mm. or at least the original was um, but the there was this real sort of um, southern gothic sexual tension brimming under the surface and it was really I remember just thinking wow it feels very adult and very mm. exciting as a, as a 14 year old watching it and I think that's why I'm excited about Sofia Coppola directing mm. it I think she's I, perfect for that perfect sort of because genre. she gets it like Virgin Suicides had that you know even with the soundtrack you know Air did the soundtrack but there was this whole um, sexuality bubbling under the mm. surface that's really erotic without ever being explicit or, or, or nasty I think so. it's almost that female touch as well where yeah. it's that they can do sexy, but they can rein it in. There's a sensitivity to yeah. it. Well, also, can I just say what I'm really pleased about as well is that she's got an almost completely female um, creative team working with her on mm. the show as well. So they've got um, film editor Sarah Flack, production designer Anne Ross, art decoration, um, set, set decoration, and costume design, all women. Fantastic. Amazing. So that's great. And a predominantly female cast, just Colin Farrell. Just Colin there. Farrell as the as the man. We've, the we've, got, we've got the trailer, uh, which was released today. You can watch it on YouTube, but this is the, uh, the trailer for Beguiled. <gasps> Girls, we all need your help. Quickly, he's losing blood. I pray that the Lord see fit to restore the health of the wounded soldier. We ask for your protection over our school and we pray that we will be kept from harm throughout the night. Amen. Seems like the soldier being here is having an effect. If you could have anything in the world, what would it be? To be taken far away from here. We can show him some real southern hospitality. Corporal McBurney's stay here has taught us all a very important lesson. Can I get you anything? The enemy is not what we believe. What have you done to me? You vengeful bitches! So there you go. That was the trailer for The Beguiled there, which is the remake by Sophia Coppola that stars Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, Elle Fanning and Colin Farrell. I think it looks great. <clears throat> and also, I think as well, just talking about remakes, we were just saying, oh, we should remake films too long. The first one was 1971, so I think they've given it enough time. Yeah, it's not like um, Spider-Man, which comes out every two years. No, <laughs> and I lost interest at Spider-Man 2, back with Tobey Maguire, so you can imagine how I feel about the new one. Although the trailer looked all right. Yeah, I think it looks quite good. Do you, we want to do one more? Leg, we've got a tr Lego trailer as well. Lego Ninjago. So Lego Movie obviously was a massive commercial success and I loved it. And we all loved it. Do we mm -hmm. like it? Yeah. Yep. yeah. And uh, Lego Batman we'll be talking about a little bit later on, but I think safe to say thumbs up from me and Rowena. Um, so they're doing another Lego Movie spin-off uh, based on the ninja-themed toys, um, which they have called Ninjago. Um, and it is around a master builder called Lloyd who has a secret life as a ninja and he is forced to take on his evil dad, Garmadon, as he battles to save the lost city of Ninjago. Yeah, I think, I think it looks like it's going to be quite cool. Well, if they keep going in the way they are with the movies, I think it's going to be brilliant because I've really enjoyed it. They've all been pleasantly surprising with how good they are and how witty. Yeah. So as long as they keep that comedic sort of spark to it where actually it can be great for kids but also adults are sort of there chuckling away I reckon it'll 
be a good movie. Fingers also, crossed. Will Arnett. I know. Just should be the go-to guy for every bit of voice work because he's just great. He's just so hilarious. Good. He's just got that almost in a kind of awkward you know even as Batman like it's just kind of really socially awkward always puts his foot in it always says the wrong thing <laughs> yeah. always gets it wrong just two seconds after the event has happened it's just really it's really. but he's problem. just so broad with everything he does and he's not afraid to tackle things I was watching 30 Rock again the other day it's always my go to when oh, I'm feeling miserable me too and the, like when he plays Devon Banks in that and um, with coming him on to, trying coming on to Kenneth <laughs> oh, he's just incredible and in Arrested Development and yeah, even though his voice sounds quite similar in um, a lot of things he does, it's just his personality shines through and his talent as well, making a character his own. Yeah. So, yeah, he's brilliant. There's a great voice cast as well. So the Ninjago movie is going to be headed up by Dave Franco and then Justin Theroux is going to be in it, Olivia Munn and Broad City's Abby Jacobson as well doing voices brilliant. and Jackie Chan. So absolutely amazing cast. Um, so, yeah, we're going to play the trailer for you now for the Lego Ninjago movie. Oh, I'll be waiting. Dad. Sorry? What was that last thing you said? What? That last part. I didn't catch it. Well, I, I, I didn't say anything. What do you mean? I didn't. Well, I, I said I'll be waiting and then I stopped talking. Dad. Lloyd? That's right. Your son. And it's Lloyd. No. L L O Y D. I named you. You ruined my life. That's not true. I haven't even been a part of your life. How could I ruin it? I wasn't even there. Baby, now we got bad love. You know it used to be bad love. Now we got I've taken the Solomon to form the secret ninja force. Are you ready to risk your life for Ninjago? Yes, I am on it. Yes. Yep. Maybe. Run! I'm stuck! I know you want me to save myself, so I'll go now. I promise I'll never forget you! I didn't ask you to promise that! Come back! Hello? Who is this? Lloyd Garmadon, your son. Oh, I must have butt-dialed you. Lad, <sighs> run! It's okay, Lloyd. Nobody's parents are perfect. I mean, my mom is weird and collects seashells. Your dad levels cities and attacks innocent people. So, they've all got their quirks, you know? Catch up with the latest Hoxton Movies interviews on Mixcloud now. So that was a clip from the Lego Ninjago movie, which you can catch up with on YouTube as well. I'm on board with that because it uses Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, and I really like that song. Absolutely. Who doesn't? I mean, everyone. That's everyone. it. Uh, one more bit of movie news for you uh, before we move on to the Love True interview that I did with Alma Harrell a little bit later. Uh, so Eva Green and Gemma Arterton have been cast in the lead roles of Vita and Virginia, a film about the romantic relationship between the amazing novelist Virginia Woolf and writer gardener Vita Sackville-West. And this is going to be directed by Chanya Button, who came on the show last year to talk about her film Burn, 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 which is great, and it's on Netflix at the moment. So if anyone 
hasn't seen it they should definitely catch up with it um some great uh, performances in there from what's her name Laura Carmichael Laura Carmichael and um also Alison Stedman's in it as well so yeah she's gonna it's a quite a good big jump for her which is great huge jump um, you know to cast those kind of actresses um, in a movie it's like incredible and I do think as well it's, it's inspired casting because uh, Eva Green and uh, Gemma Arterton they're both just absolutely fantastic yep. I just think it's great seeing a female taking this leap it's something we always talk mm. about how um, male indie directors do well in one film and then suddenly they're given a huge budget for a feature so I love I'm, that the fact yeah. that it's going to be the other way around with a woman yeah, actually doing that so good on her me too I'm really I'm really happy for her because uh, Burn 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 was great it really it was very it was very funny but at the same time very touching it was a it was a really great movie and I, I'm looking forward to see how she sort of adapts this it's going to be adapted um, by a play a play by um, Eileen Atkin and Eileen Atkin's the actress you know who plays um, the Queen mum in The Crown and she was in Upstairs Downstairs uh, yes yeah, so a really successful play so interesting as well because it's obviously very respected material that mm. they're handing over to uh, Chang to direct and I obviously love Virginia Woolf studied her at university and she's amazing uh, Mrs Dalloway is like the most incredible novel ever and it's like she was I think I mean she's obviously like an early lesbian author so it's nice to see a movie about her life sort of finally kind of I mean, they did the hours, obviously. But the hours never touched on her relationship. Mm. Um, they, they did obviously Meryl Streep and, mm. and so, Julianne Moore. But so this will be nice to sort of bring that to the forefront because um, they were together. They were in a relationship for over a decade as well. Yeah. So all good. Brilliant. Exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, check that out and check out Burn 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 on Netflix. I can't recommend it enough. It's really great. We're going to continue with our soundtrack of the week, which is from Hidden Figures. Another one from Pharrell Williams. This one's called Surrender.
the show on Twitter at Hoxton Movies. Hello and welcome back to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. A little bit later on, we're going to be talking Fifty Shades of Grey, Lego Batman movie, Prevenge, and Loving. But before that, I just want to talk a little bit about uh, Love True, which is a new documentary directed by Alma Harrell. Um, so she won Best Documentary Feature in 2011 at the Tribeca Film Festival for her debut, Bombay Beach, which is an incredible film if you haven't seen it. I think they added it to Amazon Prime really recently. Um, and it's a really a- excellent film about um, a community where it's about the, like the failure of the American dream in a sense, and it, it's it's brilliant. And she's back with Love True, which she spent over four years sort of developing um, because it follows three quite complicated real life stories, um, and it's it's looking at love and our perceptions of love and how perhaps our relationship to love and our our perception of what love is changes over time and how feelings change and how relationships are different and how we grow and it's it's really interesting so she follows three different stories one in Alaska uh, with a, a stripper and her boyfriend one in Hawaii um, with a young man who's who's a who sells like coconut milk and is a surfer and then uh, follows a family in New York where the mother's left and the children are living with their father and they they sing on the street for money but they're amazing singers they're brilliant um, and they're yeah they're sort of all living together, but the the mother's kind of gone because she left the dad because he was cheating on her. And so you're kind of following these these subjects, and it's the the camera work is incredible. Like she the way she sort of uses the like not uses these stories, but has these stories, and the way that she films them, and the way she intercuts with different. So she uses sort of actors to portray scenes from their past and then these sort of people come on and they have sort of like younger Blake written on their T-shirt and then they kind of play out this scene that um, that Blake has remembered from her childhood of where she was like bullied on a bus and she's kind of sitting next to her younger self in a way and like talking about it and then you've got sort of words appearing on screen and the music has all been uh, made by Flying Lotus mm. and it's it's just very dreamlike and it kind of pulls you along and the cinematography is beautiful it kind of looks like a music video throughout and Bombay Beach was very similar to that as well it had this kind of music video like heady dreamlike kind of vibe to it it's I've very been, yeah I've been heard it's I've heard that it's uh, very ethereal mm, it's pretty it's, and it's and it's really great and it's really captivating and the the stories are quite they're quite sad in a way they're quite sort of like bittersweet some of them and it's just interesting sort of looking at these different relationships and she spent a long time with each of these people kind of really getting into their lives um and you'll hear in the interview i was talking to her about how she kind of how long she worked with them in order to get them to a point where they felt comfortable with her uh, with the camera and her take on it was that she didn't want she didn't want them to forget that the camera was there it's not a whole point of being fly on the wall and and like sort of trying to captivate people capture people in like a true habitat i mean that is an element of it but she was saying she wants people to be aware that the camera's there. Like, it, she is making a documentary and how people sort of change when they know that those things are around. But there's certain moments when they're interrupted, but she kind of keeps that in. And she does interviews as well with the actors kind of about playing the characters. That's a really interesting way of yeah. doing it, it's, isn't it's, it? It's, it's such an invent, inventive film. Like It's absolutely brilliant. And I would recommend anyone to go check it out. There's actually quite a few screenings. So... It's obviously it's a kind of about love but it's not that kind of schmaltzy look at this sort of like romanticized version of love this is like really true to life what love is about so it comes out tomorrow 
Uh, you can see it in London at the Curzon Bloomsbury, Hackney Pitch House and the ICA and Pitch House Central and Ritzy. And then on Valentine's Day, they're doing a whole host of screenings all over the country. So it's playing at pretty much all the picture houses in London, um, as well as across across the country. So Bath, Bradford, Brighton, Edinburgh, Exeter, Lo- Liverpool, Norwich, Oxford, Southampton, Stratford-upon-Avon and York. So That's if you, getting a good outing. Yeah. So if you go to lovetruefilm.com, you can find out where all the screenings are happening in the UK. So um, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer of Love True and then you'll hear my interview with the director, Alma Harrell, after that. You never know anyone when you fall in love. It's like we're all actors. But if you wait long enough, the mask comes off. My strongest memories as a kid were from the school bus. <laughs> if you move, we're gonna come back tomorrow and put poop in your hair. No one's gonna love me the way Joel loves me. One of the things that people ask us most is, where's your mother? But Why can't you just change? I'm not unique, I'm a human being. had an affair with one of my best friends. I was raising a kid that I thought was mine. Because I said I love you! Because I said I fucking love you! So, faith, hope, and love, these three remain. But the greatest of these is love. got your whole life ahead of you, baby. Well, that's what I would have told myself if I was 25. Everyone has dreams and desires. Radio. Um, so first off, with the documentary Love True, um, what was the kind of inspiration? Where did you get the idea to look at stories about love? Um, I made Love True because I was going through a separation uh, from my own husband, who is now my best friend in the world, and we were married, but realizing that we're having certain problems sustaining our romantic relationship mm-hmm. um, so I was finding it very hard to move away from it because the love was so strong and I was experiencing some sort of an inner dialogue where you really wonder about all the things you've been and all your ideas about love and how they've changed over the years and then also worrying about who will you become if you have failed in love. So that kind of negotiation is something that I wanted to externalize and explore with other people. So would you say your idea of what true love really is has changed over the years? And what does it mean to you now? 
I don't know that it's changed, but it evolved, it developed, and became more complex. So in terms of finding the three stories, why, why Alaska, Hawaii, and, and New York, and <laughs> how did you find those stories? It's two questions, really. Um, I wanted to find three places that informed my stories um, in terms of landscape and to have them as different as possible from each other. So when you cut between them, you see the difference right away and know where you are. I also wanted to explore this idea of places that, as an immigrant, I'm always told are not America. Because when I say I love New York and the diversity in it or certain dynamics culturally that exist there, people say, oh, that's not America. And they also say that about Hawaii and Alaska, and I find those places to be, actually for me, a lot of times much more American than middle America. So maybe it's because I'm not from there, but I am an American now, and I have a passport, and I, at the same time, I guess um, I'm struggling with that definition, and I wanted to go to those places where that definition isn't clear. And in the case of finding those stories, how did you find those people? I think I really like getting lost in places and having a sense of uh, destiny and synchronicity take over the, the concept of casting. Yeah. So moving to those places, spending some time and then just talking to people and finding them is something that I wish I always could do. And this time I definitely went for it and that's part of why the film took so long and was made over four years. Over four years. Yeah, I was going to ask, that was my next question. So how long did you spend with each person? Because obviously with, uh, with Willie in Hawaii, a lot of those conversations <coughs> are obviously really, really natural and you kind of capture... Each one is all in, captured in their sort of natural habitat. How long did it sort of take to break down that barrier for them to sort of forget that the camera was there, forget that you were sort of interviewing them for a film and just sort of open up in that way? Um, I don't think... First of all, I don't believe that people forget that they're being interviewed for a film. I think that my approach has always been to fuck the fly on the wall concept of, yeah, I'm just here and forget we're even making a film and instead of it saying, no, we're making a film, I want you to be aware of it, I want you to understand what a film is, I want you to understand what your story is and I want you to own it and have a relationship with it and I think it will help you and that's what helps me and I think that is part of what therapy is, is knowing the story you tell yourself about yourself and tell other people about yourself and owning it and then revising it if it's full of lies or full of holes or full of misconceptions. So part of the fact that I do my films the way I do allows me to have intimacy with people not because they forget we make a film, but because they understand we make a film and they trust me and the process. Not to uh, be pretending to do something else and cheat them into some fake intimacy. Um, uh, I think that that kind of honesty in the filmmaking actually brings intimacy. Yeah. And um, in terms of the time that I spent there, I spent a really long time in each place, but it was cut so I, if you could say I would come back every mm -hmm. few months and I would stay in touch with the people also in the months that I wasn't filming and we probably filmed over the course of two to three years uh, on and off yeah and in terms of because in the film you use actors to kind of play 
either people's younger selves or characters or characters from their past. And you also then have kind of like behind the scenes type <laughs> interviews with those people about playing those real people. What why why do you sort of make why did you make that decision to kind of break that fourth wall and show people Obviously, we knew they were actors because they had the sort of T-shirts on saying, you know, John's wife or younger Blake. Um, but why did you make the decision to kind of interview them as well, sort of separately? Because it's that really nice moment with, with John and the woman playing his wife and she's like asking him how she should play it and how it happened. Why did you want to show that? I think to me, in general, there is a certain sense that all of us uh, portray ourselves and all of us... If you look at it almost physiologically, uh, we have a brain and then we wear a mask. We have a skull and a face over our brain and that's our mask. And when we die, it all deteriorates and the consciousness is, is goes somewhere else or maybe it just dies with the body, but whatever it is, that sense that we are also carrying a mask is something that we experience as we grow older because we see it changing and we see how the fact that our face changes affects how we behave because how people see us, they treat us differently and sometimes we feel really young but people don't look at us as young anymore and we have to adjust and not be silly because it looks weird. So all these dynamics are something that are really interesting to me in general and then they become even more poignant when you are a filmmaker because you see people coming to terms with the fact that they have to portray themselves because they are in front of the camera um, being themselves, living their lives, but they are also painfully aware that something is being captured and something is going to be on screen for other people to analyze and to watch. And I wanted to really deal with that idea in, a, in many ways. Um, I'm also really interested in this idea that there's a lot of characters that come in and out of documentaries or that are actors in films and that we never know anything about them. And they have their own lives and they are also subjects and not just objects of our filmmaking desires. So I was trying to kind of capture that really rich and complex dynamic that exists between us, the people we interact with, and everybody playing a part in each other's lives, which a lot of it happens inside love. I mean, when we fall in love, we almost cast people. Yeah. We have all these ideas of what we want or what we're attracted to or all these impulses, and then we project them on other people. Part of being in a relationship is removing those masks and seeing if what's underneath can still work. Okay. Because at a certain point, after the falling in love period and the projection cease to exist, the initial one um, develops into something that is more consistent, there is a revelation of who really that person is. And when you fall in love at first, there's a certain fantasy of who the other person is, and there's also a certain fantasy of who that person can make you into. Who are you if this person is in love with you? Is also another thing that plays into our, our love of relationships. So I was really exploring all of those dynamics. I think they're so rich and interesting and layered, and I wanted to do it in a 
um, in a way that isn't easy to explain, yeah. but that when you watch it, you kind of feel it. Yeah, for sure. You definitely feel it. And you feel it through the cinematography as well. I thought like the whole dreamscape of it and the fact that it looks quite music video-esque in like, certain elements. I really loved that moment. And I love that about Bombay Beach as well, your previous film. Like, they both sort of Thank had you. that similar sort of music, music video vibe to them, which I really liked. Thank you. For this film, you've got Shia LaBeouf as an executive producer. How did he get involved and what was his involvement in the film? Shia kind of danced into my life a few years ago, uh, literally, in a way. Um, I came back home one day and had an email from him. He randomly picked up my first film, Bombay Beach, watched it, and then he ended up watching it twice at the same night. Uh, and it touched him in some way he couldn't really explain, and he wanted to just contact me and talk about it, and emailed me on my website, and then we met like two days later, and ended up doing together a project for a band called Sigurás, which was... Uh, something between a music video and a short film. Um, he danced in it and it was one of the first times he's ever danced and it was a very powerful film for us to make uh, that actually dealt also with a lot of pain and a lot of trauma that comes from love and our childhoods and our definitions of, of, of cyclical pain inside romantic relationships. So after we did that, we stayed in touch, and when I did Love True, I was uh, really stuck with my financing, and obviously the fact that it's such a hard-to-define project with artistic ambition, mm. um, it wasn't easy to finance, and as it is, it's hard enough for women to finance the films, so that definitely didn't make it any easier, and Shia just stepped in, and decided to come on as an executive producer and fully financed the film and literally surprised me with it and it was uh, yeah I'll forever be grateful for it. You're listening to Hoxton Movies on Hoxton Radio. Summertime in Virginia was an oven. All the kids eating ice cream with their cousins. I was studying while you was playing the dozens. And the law of the land. Oh, 
playing Hoxton movies with the Genesis Cinema only on Hoxton Radio. So there you go. That was running Pharrell Williams from the Hidden Figures soundtrack. And before that, you heard Nikki's interview um, with the director of, what was it, Dr. Love True. Love True. So that was great. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we're going to chat about Fifty Shades of... No, Fifty, 50 Shades, Shades Darker. Darker. The sequel to Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. Fifty Shades Darker, which is coming out of the Genesis tomorrow. Uh, Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan are back for the sequel to the mega smash hit of last year, or the year before, actually, I think it was. Yeah, two years ago. Um, which was directed by Sam Taylor-Johnson. Um, she's no longer in this, mm-hmm. um, involved in this. They, her, uh, She's been replaced by James Foley, the director of that classic Madonna Griffin Dunn movie, <laughs> Who's That Girl, amongst <laughs> others. Um, yeah, and they've also, they haven't really got any big name stars, apart from Kim Basinger actually has come back. Oh, has she? Uh, not come back. She's, oh God, I'm, I'm, come I'm on all board. over the place at the moment. Come on Sorry, board. I do apologise. Kim Basinger has been cast as Christian Grey's ex-lover with a kind of mysterious plot and also there's a couple of other ex-lovers that are disgruntled in it. Yeah. Um, the first film was a challenge. It really was. <laughs> what, I haven't even seen I think it. We so. saw it together, didn't we, at Genesis? Um, no, I saw it on my own. Okay, oh. so that was that was a really interesting. I thought um, we saw it together. No, I saw it on my own at the Genesis, and I remember seeing it in an afternoon. You thought you said this before, but I definitely didn't see it with you because I saw it in Studio Five at the Genesis, and it was me and one other guy <laughs> oh, <laughs> during okay. the day, and he was like sat there. Oh, maybe I went to see it with Tom. Sorry. <laughs> the other Just homosexual in your life. They all merge into one. We don't all look the same, Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, no, so I saw it. And I, I have to say, I did really think that Dakota Johnson was um, was great, actually, in it. I thought she was the shining light of mm. the film. But it was completely daft and nonsensical. And um, there's a kind of underlying, um, you know, kind of anti-feminist thing running through it as well, which I don't like. But... This one turns the tables a bit, I think. No, apparently not. Oh, really? Because I thought it was about her... 
she's sort of renegotiating the contract of their relationship and he's like begging no, her to love him as soon as he comes flying over with his helicopter and picking her up for big events she's like oh okay then that's yeah that's fine. what I've heard I've heard that it's actually really distasteful particularly yeah, in the Trump era um, how gratuitous the wealth on display is and also how quickly she goes back to yeah, being submissive when, she, when she's you know given fur coats and jewellery and all that kind of stuff okay. so a bit grim from the clips though I mean it's called Fifty Shades Darker it doesn't look very dark it looks quite like romanticised but mm. maybe I'm just seeing early parts I of the film and it gets a bit darker later possibly referring more to the sort of characters coming out of the background that he's had previous relationships mm. with and they from what I've seen on the trailer they kind of look a bit like they're stalking her or they're appearing in her apartment because he's obviously driven them fruit loopy or something <laughs> Um, who knows I haven't seen the first one so I'm kind of guessing um, but yeah maybe that's why maybe it's just darker because yeah there's all that history is coming well, out well the reviews are in <laughs> and it's currently sitting at 9% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> oh my god um, the first film I mean the fact that critics are saying that it's it's a downward turn from the original it does not bode well because the problem with the original actually was that it was very bland. It was boring, yeah. It was boring. It, was it wasn't particularly thrilling. It wasn't particularly exciting. There wasn't. I didn't. Was it think. not very raunchy? Not even. Not I really. mean, I've seen. I've seen. I've a seen. If you've seen Nymphomaniac, came back and came out in the same bad. year, yeah. I think. So it was just like after you saw, saw that, you thought, well, Fifty Jays of Grave. Yeah, and but I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> it's like an episode of EastEnders. It was. Really. It wasn't that. If even if it was explicit, that was bothering me. What I wanted it to have was an erotic charge, something mm. that was really they sensual. Don't have very well done. Chemi- their chemistry is terrible. Yeah, as well. they don't have any chemistry. But apparently, they get on very well in real life. I've seen some like a lot of interviews with them and stuff. But they've clearly come back well, because of the money. That doesn't work for him because apparently, him and Gillian Anderson don't get on very well, and their chemistry on the fall is amazing. I was just so perhaps about to say that. he needs to work with people that he doesn't like. But it's meant to, to be like... though. In the fall, they're supposed to like really not like each other. Mm. I just don't think that helps I think often it's when they really hate each other behind the scenes you get that sort of fiery chemistry mm. whereas I think you get too comfortable if you're like best buds with someone you probably don't push yourself as far on the performance because you think oh we're just going to have natural chemistry whereas you still need to work yeah. I think it. Jamie Dornan looks slightly embarrassed to be yeah, a part of it I, I mean it's clearly a strategic career move to kind of raise his profile and so he can do more interesting work I will say this I have been watching some of the uh, you know the news footage and the interviews and stuff and Marsha Gay Harden who plays Christian Grey's mother has been absolutely hilarious in all of the interviews. Like she, she's just a hoot and a half. Um, it's a shame though the character in the film isn't funny. <laughs> if only she was like that in the film, it might make it more entertaining. But yeah, so Fifty Shades Grey. I think we've got the trailer, haven't we, Nikki? We have, we have got the trailer. So we're playing the trailer from Fifty Shades of Fifty Shades Darker. It's called. Remember? Oh, God, I can't keep forgetting. Fifty Shades Darker. Sorry. That one. That Fifty Shades movie. Fifty Shades Two. <laughs> <laughs> the Revenge. Spank my bottom. You're open to new terms. No rules? No punishments? No rules, no punishments, and no more secrets. I can do that. You want a, what do you call it? A vanilla relationship? I mean, we only do what you're comfortable with. But you need all those things. I need you more. So that was a clip from Fifty Shades Darker. And you say about Twilight being bad. Come on, Matt. Yeah, but I wasn't defending Fifty Shades either. I think they're both (laughs) bad. That's true. (laughs) 
Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. It doesn't look very good. Um, so now we're going to be reviewing uh, the Lego Batman movie, which yeah. Rowena and I have both seen. So Rowena, tell us a bit about this one. Um, so this is directed by Chris McKay, who also does Robot Chicken. So if you're a fan of that, and there's also quite a few sitcom writers involved. So there's uh, Chris, McKen- Chris McKenna worked on the screenplay, who worked on American Dad and Community. Also Seth Graham Smith um, as well. And also it stars Will Arnett, Michael Sarah, Rosario Dawson, Zach Galifianakis, and Ralph Rife? Ray Rafe. Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes. Uh, Zoe Kravitz and Jenny Slate. And so the plot is that, well, obviously, if you've seen the Lego movie, it's uh, Will Arnett's Batman from there in his own movie. Um, and it's also there are big changes brewing in Gotham City and if he wants to save the city from Joker's hostile takeover Batman may have to drop the lone vigilante thing to try and work with others and maybe just maybe learn to lighten up so I really enjoyed this and I actually came home and watched the Lego movie afterwards and I think I preferred (gasps) this movie which might be sacrilege to some people Mm, I think I I mean I loved this movie I thought it was it was it was great I love Will Arnett as Batman I think he's brilliant Mm. it's really funny the, all the characters are, are fantastic I thought this, the plot itself was a bit thin on the ground I mean there's a really I did really like the whole relationship with the Joker kind of as a scorned lover type thing yeah it was that was really nice and I thought they just they played that really well see that's what I loved I think the plot of the sort of background story was meant to be that it's meant to be background I think it was very much about relationships I like that there was this slight homoerotic tension between him and the Joker mm, say what yeah, yeah that is great they play that really Ooh. well that is the best bit about it but I thought also uh, Barbara Gordon as well I think she even though at first he really obviously mm. fancies the pants of her she's very much I'm here to do my mm. job you have to do this I'm professional it's platonic and there's a great line in it which I tweeted after seeing the movie about how um, she goes oh so if you call me Batgirl can I call you Batboy yeah. which I really loved I think it was great harking back at all the original movies and where their downfalls mm. have been which I think <laughs> adults and parents will absolutely love because there have been issues with DC and Batman movies haven't there and um, they play on that they're very witty yeah I loved it it's just even there was a scene where he's just there watching a microwave go Mm. around for about two minutes and I just I was laughing my head off the whole way through it was relentlessly funny well they play with the idea that sort of Batman must be this sort of playboy billionaire like going back to party with those people but he's not he's a very lonely and he just lives with Alfred and he kind mm. of like doesn't do much and like doesn't really have any friends doesn't have anyone to hang out with and that kind of all changes when he agrees to like adopt um, by accident uh, by accident <laughs> adopt Michael Sarah's character who becomes Robin and th- I mean that is they play with that really well as well and I the music in this again is really great um, I really I did really enjoy it I do think I prefer the Lego movie because it has a little bit more structure in terms mm. of its storyline arc I just but, worry that they were so like determined to make it a very nostalgic thing in the first movie because they were worried that people were going to attach to Lego in that way mm. unless that's harking back to how they were sort of those feelings that they had when they were younger and playing with Lego whereas this has just gone whole hog at it it also felt really cinematic mm. seeing as it's with these oh, little yeah. Lego the animation figurines. is incredible the it animation's very very stunning very to watch and yeah I was gripped the whole way through which is you know something that's based on Lego characters mm. and a Batman Lego character and they managed to pull it off so well and it's one of the best Batman films I've seen in a while so yeah. good on them 
I really liked it as well. So we've got a clip from the Lego Batman movie and then we'll be back talking about Revenge and Loving. Master Bruce, you live on an island figuratively and literally. Yeah, I love it. You can't spend the rest of your life alone, dressed in black, listening to angry music and staying up all night. Yes, I can, because I'm Batman. But don't you think it's time you finally faced your greatest fear? Snakes? No. Clowns? No. Snake clowns? Bruce, listen. Your greatest fear is being a part of a family again. No, now it's snake clowns because you put that idea in my head. Thumbs up or thumbs down? The latest movie reviews with Hoxton Movies. Welcome back to Hoxton Movies. So we're going to be re- reviewing Prevenge now, the new film written directed by Alice Lowe, who co-wrote Sightseers and also starred in that movie, has been in things like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, uh, Adult Life Skills last year. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, loads of, loads of things. And she's, she's brilliant. So she stars in this one as well. She made this film when she was seven months pregnant, which is incredible. Uh, it also has Joe Hartley and Kate Dickey in it. And essentially she plays a seven-month pregnant woman who goes on a kind of killing rampage because she can hear the thoughts of her unborn baby. Her baby's telling her to do it. Yeah. I mean, this has been a kind of festival darling. It's been doing the rounds for a a while uh, last year, sort of playing at a lot of festivals, garnering a lot of um, great reviews from the likes of us as well. Well, that's where I saw it. I saw it at the London Film Festival Mm. near Morton Coy there. It was, I I really enjoyed it. And it, it does this thing very well of treading the line between sort of horror and comedy and it does it perfectly like fans of sightseers will be fans of this yeah again another one of my favorite movies so i think i'm gonna love this but i'm yeah since i was younger my mum's always been really into this sort of dark comedy and i love it and there's that slightly masochistic thing Mm. about watching really dark events happening but then you laugh at them and i'm really excited about it and i think she's great and i'm really pleased to see that this is the kind of thing she's doing on her directorial debut absolutely i mean it is very very dark as i described Mm. it darker than a coal miner's ball sack (laughs) (laughs) which i really wanted that wasn't used on the on the trailer and do you know what i I was because i met joe hartley at the empire um uh hub thing and I it was before I'd seen Prevenge and we were following each other on Twitter and I actually said that quote to her and she was like that's brilliant and I said I know I wanted to be on the poster but it is it walks that fine line but what's so great about it is Alice Lowe retains your sympathy all the mm. way through it because she's so adept at, at black comedy and making this really peculiar woman mm. um, interesting and you want to follow her and the way they do it the way mm. that the baby speaks to her there's actually quite this kind of just kind of power battle between them which is really interesting Mm. it's a very kind of unique concept Um, I think Joe Hartley really provides the heart and soul of the Mm. film I mean even though none of the characters are particularly (laughs) likeable she is a little bit more sympathetic than than the others Um, probably yeah but I was going to I shouldn't say because it would be a spoiler but um, it's gruesome as Nikki said but it's never gratuitous I don't Mm. think no it's very visceral Um, some of the blood scenes for me as a rubbish horror person was a bit like what? But it, I think it's good that it does that. It's not too scared mm. to kind of just go for it and sort of have all that blood everywhere. But then it had still got that comic element to it. And the way the plot kind of slowly reveals itself, because mm. it is kind of, you want to find out, like you said, you go on a journey with her. You are very much subjectively seeing the film through her eyes. And at first you're thinking, why is she killing? Like, who is she, uh, who is she selecting? There's a bit right at the beginning where she's sort of written down, like one down. And you're thinking, one down, how many to go? And it's, it's great the way the script kind of drops in these little hints 
for you and it doesn't reveal everything straight away it kind of it doesn't give you it's called revenge so it kind of gives you that there's some sort of revenge but what is it for mm. who is she getting revenge on like why it doesn't give you that setup right at the beginning it gives you kind of flashes and i liked that about the movie that it kind of kept you guessing until the until the, it sort of revealed its its cards but also there's layers to it in the sense that you know psychologically it's shown the impact of grief and loss on somebody mm. who's pregnant um and and then using kind of you know psychosomatically convincing herself that her baby is telling her to murder yeah. people mm. almost like as a justification for it um but you know it's it's really a film of set pieces there's it's kind of in segments and obviously it's between her and each victim um so they could have potentially lost the narrative a little bit mm. but as nikki said the way they unravel it and they show it in flashbacks and you kind of become more and more invested in it and your sympathy does flit i mean some of the characters there are some really strong feminist statements in the mm. film actually and uh, you're kind of cheering her on at some points but then it flips really nicely because then your sympathies are with the victim not mm. with her and the way she balances that is really clever as her first film professionally it's, there's nothing extravagant about it but mm. it's it's really tightly shot mm. um, it's only an hour and 25 minutes long mm. so it's really condensed and it's really um, there's no fat on it at no. all and the um, fact she's starring in it while she's pregnant as well I think yeah. it's pretty good going but I just love the fact that it's a movie where it's showing about how condescending people can be about pregnancies and they mm. almost forget about the mother's role whilst they're going through this. I think it's really important to show that actually for a lot of people and it can be quite a, an experience where it almost feels parasitic that mm. you've got something growing in you. Well, and that's the other aspect life. of it, yeah. And I think it's great that someone who's actually going through it yeah. has thrown her experience onto the screen. I can imagine mums there going mm. wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, it brought up, for me, it brought up things like Rosemary's Baby, yeah. Possession. Yeah. And I think she, I mean, she's a horror aficionado from way, way back. So she's kind of obviously drawing from like her horror fandom which is great and it really comes out in the movie it takes some skill yeah. to pull it off and, and how she's done it so she does everything very straight face even if it's a really silly scene she was the same in Sightseers yeah. as well yeah. you know it could be something that could have easily gone over the top with certain scenes or how she delivers a line but she plays everything so straight faced mm. that you actually feel very invested and you believe it so yeah she's great um, so Prevenge that's going to be playing from cinemas from tomorrow uh, you can catch it all over the place and she's been doing Q&A's up and down mm. she was at the BFI she was at Pitch House Central where's she tonight Nikki she's at the Hackney Pitch House tonight and who's Yay! chatting to her Nikki me Yay! <laughs> uh, so this is a clip from Prevenge it was completely unnecessary to kill that man he was really nice he was a sop a hipster sop <laughs> sacrifices I've had to make what sacrifices children these days are really spoiled like, Mummy, I want a PlayStation. Mummy, I want you to kill that man. I don't want a new... I know you don't want a new daddy, but there was no possibility of that, so stop going on about it. He saw everything. I know he's a witness, but there's a chance he might not have told anyone. His name was Josh. No, you're right. No one called Josh is not going to tell the authorities. I've walked around
So there you go. That was Janelle Monae with Is Is This the World? Isn't this the world? Oh, God, I can't say anything right today. I'm really sorry. I don't know what's matter with me. I had three beers last night when I saw Trainspotting 2. And somebody just asked me what I thought of it. And I said, um, I, I said, oh, I didn't really understand why Ewan McGregor came back. And that's just like because his mum died. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So I had three beers and I was like fuzzy headed. It's really weird, isn't it? <laughs> I, I saw you I saw Tash from getting her ears very excited in the lobby I was like Tash hi she's like hi mate <laughs> this is my friend we've got to go bye <laughs> anyway um, so listen we're going to talk about Loving Now which uh, came out last Friday actually um, Nikki and I caught it this week it's directed by Jeff Nichols who directed Midnight Special and Take Shelter it stars Joel Ed- Edgerton Australian actor and Irish actress Ruth Negger as uh, Richard and Mildred, who are a couple in Virginia, I believe, mm-hmm. when they in the in the sixties who got together, um, they ended up leaving the state to get married, and then when they're uh, was lo- it because it was an interracial marriage. Yes, yeah. so um, they it went, have, they it went against anti-miscegenation laws. 
and they could have I think they could have potentially got married in that area but it would have caused real problems anyway so they didn't and it was to make it quicker wasn't it the whole I process? think they wouldn't have been able to get married in Virginia because when they come back to Virginia they won't accept them as a married couple and um, essentially give say that they'll put them in jail unless they leave the state so they have to leave the state and go live in Washington which they don't want to do because but they're forced out they're actually. forced out yeah because so they she's, don't... Pre- she's pregnant and they and the kind of police and the and the, mm. the court force them to leave they say basically if they don't leave the state or come back within 25 years they'll both be thrown into prison but of course all her family are there she's a real like family girl and in and the area that they live in is really picturesque and it's like and his family as well and I his mean, family he's grown up although there. he's not as close as he to his family no, not, she's he's not, more of a yeah it's more in her family unit but what is so great about this film is it doesn't give you that kind of courtroom drama that you may At expect all. from a kind of civil rights no. film. It it really focuses on the couple and it's a them, portrait of a marriage. Yeah, and them at home and how much they sort of love each other and how they've been sort of cheated by the system in a way. And yes, they do. I mean, she writes a letter to Bobby Kennedy, and that's how they get their they get their um, case to the Supreme Court. And that f- it does follow that story kind of in the background, but you. There's no at no point do you see any kind of court bits at all. It's all just focusing on them at home. You see a few things where they're giving interviews and and uh, Joel Edgerton's character. It's all very underplayed, but Joel Edgerton is very underplayed in it. He's quite sort of shy and reserved as a as a person anyway. But there's character. also there's a real masculinity and pride mm. and a sensitivity to his performance that is it. I came out of it thinking I can't believe he wasn't Oscar nominated for this mm. because his he transforms into this character but what Nichols has done here is he's made a counterintuitive decision to let them sort of live in front of the camera you know mm. you are totally drawn into this relationship and these are two characters two people who weren't massively educated mm. um you know they were very happy with their kind of lot in life which is to be married to spend time together be with their family raise kids that was it you know they're both like hard working working class individuals and it never at any point does his screenplay or their performances betray that mm. um, I mean not betray that betray that mm. um, and it's that's what's so beautiful about the film you just watch these two lovely genuine authentic people and you're rooting for them the whole time obviously they change the course of history mm. but not from any other reason other than to, to get back to, to a place of happiness there was no big political agenda because they if I'm being honest, the way the film portrays it is that they didn't have the education or the 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 view outside of their own world. They just wanted things to go back to normal for them. Yeah. Um, so it's remarkable, and and so there is no melodrama. Nothing no. is played over over the top. And I all. think for some people, it won't work in that way because they might find it slow, they might find it dull, you know. But for me, it it is underplayed, but it's it's so beautifully underplayed and it's perfect in that way. And it is a slow burn but it needs to be and it, it really works that way because it, it is just about their relationship and their strength and Ruth Negger is is so good she's stunning she's absolutely we were saying so weren't we in the week there's a there's a few scenes in it um, because actually what she does so effectively is is Mildred is a very um, you know not simple in the sense that she just wants to be with her family and she mm. wants to be the wife and the mother and that's her thing but she's got this steel this steely reserve um, bubbling under the surface and there's a scene where she's written this letter to Bobby Kennedy and she gets a phone call from the ACLU who, who want to take on their case and she registers so much emotion with the flicker of an eye and a twitch of her mouth um, that you you are just like, honestly it's like someone punches mm. you because you can see how much this woman wants this and you can see because of her kids and mm. her parents and her sister and, and you feel the full weight of it um, I completely and utterly understand why Ruth Negger got an Oscar nomination mm. now because it's, it's a beautiful performance. Well, I think it mustn't be easy doing that 
uh, just solely on character performance if you, from what you're saying obviously I haven't seen it if all the civil rights stuff and the battle is very much in the background it's mostly about the relationship it sounds incredible that she's managed to portray like what she's going through as well as showing her as a character and her love for her oh, partner. Oh, it's conveyed utterly. Like, you don't lose sense of it at all. Amazing. What's so great, and that's the skill of Jeff Nichols and the mm. performances, is that you don't lose sight of what's going on around them, but you're more invested in the characters. Mm. You think Because you, you know what happens. Sounds like quite mm. a brave choice. It really is a brave choice. Mm. And the thing is, you know what happens because you've, you've read about it. You know mm. the, the outcome of it. Um, so this is a chance to show you know this high profile interracial relationship where it was so difficult but also what's very very brave particularly from a white writer and director is that he's also not afraid to show how the African American community react to it and some people aren't equally aren't as happy about it mm. either like obviously not on the same level but there are you know negativity and there's there's um, there's conflict from from that side as well and so it does show it's quite a balanced view as mm. well mm. um but the 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 performances really are what makes it and and both Edgerton and Ruth Negger are exquisite yeah, really, really good. So this is a clip from Loving. I want to put the kitchen back, right back here. Richard, stop this. I don't know what you're saying. I bought it. This whole acre. I'm going to build you a house right here. Our house. There you go. That was a clip from Loving. So we're very, very quickly going to talk about uh, Netflix's new series, Santa Clarita Diet, which came out uh, on Friday. It's created by Victor Fresno, who wrote a lot for My Name is Earl. And it stars Drew Barrymore in her first ever TV series. So she's done, obviously, loads and loads of films. Um, but this is her first TV series. Uh, Tim Timothy Oliphant is also in it. Uh, Liv Hewson, who plays her daughter. Uh, Skylar Gazondo plays... Um, their next door neighbour Mary Elizabeth Ellis who people might know from Always Sunny is also in it um, as well as Ricardo Shavira from uh, Desperate Housewives so the story is uh, Drew Barrymore's character Sheila and her husband Joel played by Timothy Oliphant are a married couple they're both real estate agents they have a business together they live in Santa Clarita California and one day when they're showing a house she throws up everywhere like there's like buckets of sick. I was having soup when I was watching. <laughs> oh, not a good idea. Do not eat whilst watching yeah. this she series. She didn't stop vomiting for ages, and then she she also vomits. She was dying. She what was dying. Expect? Didn't she hack up like a? So she yeah. hacks up this red stone well, it's like a giant thing. Furball. Yeah, it's pretty gross. And then she was like, that, "Is that one of my organs in yeah. that adorable Drew Barrymore way?" Not the way I just said. It. She <laughs> she she essentially dies, and then becomes a zombie and then sort of is is the undead and or a she, cannibal as we were discussing yeah. a cannibal zombie uh, the undead I think it's kind of it's un kind of unclear <laughs> she's sort of undead but seems very alive they're saying that it could be a virus so mm. it again it's obviously another take on how you could become a zombie because mm. which is fair enough because it's been done a lot I I have to say I've I finished this in like a couple of days mm. and I really loved it because well, they're only half hour episodes aren't they yeah so they're really short episodes there's only ten episodes um so you know I kind of 
spun through this pretty quickly and i really liked it i i just i found the humor engaging i thought the writing was really smart i mean there are a few bits where it kind of loses its footing a little bit but i don't know there's something about it i loved i love the the kids in it as well like i think liv hewson is absolutely amazing Australian me, as well I believe yeah for me she is the star performer Her she's and kind Eric, of yeah. I think are the best characters actually in they're it, both the kind kids. of I mean she he's a geek he's sort of in love with her a little bit she's like the girl next door but she doesn't play it like that and that she's kind of going through this kind of rebellious teenage stage where she's ditch, starting to ditch school and like do these sort of things and she she knows what's happened she knows that her mom is now sort of eating people <laughs> and no, there was like, just eating people. but it's just I I kind of love the way and Timothy Oliphant is so like dedicated to his he's, relationship he's, with her that he's just like I'll help you kill people you know <laughs> I'm gonna I want this like to, to work I want us to be happy and that's all you want in life See, isn't I, it really I asked my husband I was like what would you do if this was the case because he watched the first <laughs> oh episode with God. me I said would you support me he just came me? out with a shovel here we go no, <laughs> I was like would you support me if I turned into a zombie and I was a bit like Drew Barrymore in this he said, no, you'd be locked up in the shed like Ed out of Shaun of the Dead. Ooh. I was like, hush. Yeah. <laughs> and what, like just Not throw the odd, the odd like steak in there for you and stuff? <laughs> The only time I'm not a vegetarian is when you become a zombie. I did see the first episode, and I have to say, it didn't win me over. I found it a little bit too stick with it, broad stick with and it. wacky. But I, based on your recommendations, I will. It does get it. better. I mean, I although I do think if you kind of don't like it from the beginning, it might just be something that isn't mm, your thing. Your thing. It's. I think it's quite divisive. Well, I just I love kind of. I love Drew Barrymore. She's brilliant, and I, I just kind her. of went with it because the first. I have to admit, the first episode, I was a bit like, "Oh, it's a little." It's very odd and it's quite kitsch, and yeah, and their acting's a bit. In I was like, oh, it's a bit interesting. You kind of got to sort of feel your way into it, but once you once you get over that, I I just went with this. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was really funny, really smart, and just yeah, it really drew me in. Pun. But she also produced it as well, didn't she? So did yeah. Timothy Oliphant. And to be honest, Drew Barrymore, she deserves like you know a good show or a good another good film because she's she is really great. She's like yeah. such a gifted comedic actress. Also, I quite like the fact that this is dark and it's gory and it's you know it's kind of Chomping going for on it. An arm. It is really. I mean, I've only seen episode one, but I'm assuming it gets really bloody. Yeah, yeah, it does. Is it, yeah, it is quite gory. Um, and yeah, definitely don't do not watch it whilst eating. Well, I've learned that mistake. Thank you, Nikki Alexandri. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to finish up the show a little bit earlier. Uh, stay tuned to Hoxton Radio, though, for getting her ears. It's her second birthday. Yay, happy birthday. Happy birthday, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the most delayed reaction ever from Tash. They're working hard. <laughs> They're working hard. Uh, so we're going to play our final song from our soundtrack of the week, which this week has been Hidden Figures, and we'll be reviewing the film in full next week. Uh, we'll also be chatting to a couple of directors who've got a... Um, kickstart a campaign for their new film which should be good and yeah all other movie news and hopefully Morton will be back I will be discussing the BAFTAs as well oh yeah BAFTA the BAFTA winners as well so bye bye look what you've done to me look what you've done to me make me behave like I wouldn't ever I know you're the It is even deeper than the 